Dear friends in Christ, welcome to this podcast from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. All Saints is a loving, welcoming parish serving Southeast Portland for over a century. Our purpose is to celebrate God's love, seek and serve Christ in all persons, and go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Today, we invite you to join the Reverend Andrea Skornick as she preaches the gospel and explores the mysteries of God in our modern world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all, Amen. I realized just now when I went to go turn on my mic that it was already on, so I don't know how long that's been. If it sounded like I was doing a solo on Oh God, Our Help in Ages Past, that was not an intentional music choice, so don't blame Jim. I wonder, what kind of person brings out the best in you? Is it someone who's like a mentor who listens intently to what you're saying and then affirms you deeply? Is it someone who just has great energy or a good sense of humor? Is it the person who is looking out for you and then always shows up when you need it? And what kind of person brings out the worst in you? Is it someone who is judgmental or controlling? Is it someone that makes you anxious or someone who is mean or self-centered? In this morning's Gospel from Matthew, there are three different servants, two of whom seem to have the best brought out in them, and the third, not so much. Now, it's worth noting at the outset that this is a parable, and parables are not supposed to have just one interpretation. As one thing I read this last week so aptly put it, Parables are like a jungle gym for the mind. They're supposed to give us lots of possible options that we can play with and explore, and often to get us thinking about the nature of God. Of the many possible interpretations of this particular parable, a common one is that it's about being faithful with what is placed in your care. Like those servants, who invested the talents that were given to them, which a talent is like a very large sum of money, something like a million dollars. And unlike that servant who just took the talent and buried it in the ground. Now, if you take it a step further, you could even read it that this is a warning, suggesting a possible reckoning day when Christ, like the master, returns, and you have to give an account for what the heck you've been doing with your life. No pressure. <laughs> Part of the message here probably is about doing the best with what is put in your care. And that's good. That is what stewardship is. But I have a hard time believing that Jesus was saying, be good stewards or else. Which is why the landowner's harsh treatment of the third servant has always been troubling. As preacher and professor David Lowe's points out, though, 
It's interesting that we rarely question the servant's assessment of the master, that third servant, when he says, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. We hear that and we just take it at face value, perhaps because the master does respond so harshly. But Lowe's asks us to consider whether that assessment is justified, given that, first, neither of the first two servants were afraid of the master, even though they were entrusted with significantly more, which meant they had more to lose, and second, that the master rejoices in their success, saying, well done, enter into the joy of your master. And third, and perhaps this is the most peculiar detail, that the master responds to his servant's assessment with a question. He says, you knew, did you? Calling it into question and perhaps expressing surprise at this portrayal of him, which might then give a reason for that reaction. Could it be that the third servant acts with such fear and suffers as a result because of how he views the master. And could it also be that the other two servants have such a different experience because they come to their relationship with the master with such a different and more hopeful understanding? We probably all know from experience that how we view others is going to affect our relationship with them. If we go in assuming bad things, most likely that experience is going to be negative. And if we go in thinking good things about them and have sort of a charitable understanding, it's more likely that we're going to have a positive experience, or if it's not, have a little bit more understanding for it. The same goes for our relationship with God. How we understand God's nature and disposition towards us how we imagine that God wants to interact with us affects everything for a person of faith. Like, for example, seeing ourselves as sinners in the hands of an angry God versus seeing ourselves as beloved children in the care of an unconditionally loving God make for vastly different experiences of life. Or as Lowe's writes, if we imagine God primarily as stern, even angry, and given to dispensing a terrifying and harsh justice, we will likely come to believe that everything bad in our lives is punishment from God. Similarly, if we see God as arbitrary and capricious, that's what we experience, a fickle and unsympathetic God who meets our expectations. But if we view God primarily in terms of grace, one who empowers and entrusts and frees, then we will regularly be surprised and uplifted by the numerous gifts and moments of grace we experience all around us. For when we imagine God to be a God of love, we find it far easier to experience God's love in our own lives and share it with others. This is so true. And yet, 
How often is it the case that we let the critical voice in our heads or the voices of a harsh, broken, and hurting world be the material we cobble together for our image of God? This distorted image is not who God is, and it does not bring out the best in us. It does not create beings who, like those first two servants, are ready to take risks and be courageous in love and who are comfortable simply trying their best because either way, they know that God who will welcome them is so good. Who we understand God to be is worth reflecting on. It actually reminded me of something that one of our guest speakers a few years back, Kristen May Crispin Mayfield, who wrote Attached to God, shared with us. He said how growing up, he was always given these images of God that were harsh and judgmental, waiting for him to mess up. But in a visit to the grotto, he saw an image of the baby Jesus as an infant, curled up in Mary's arms. And he heard a voice say, that's how I see you. And it changed how he saw God, and it was transformational. The other thing to keep in mind when we read this parable is where it comes in the gospel. Jesus is sharing this parable in his ministry in Jerusalem, days before he will be put on trial and killed. So however we read it, it should be looked at in light of the sacrificial love we see in Jesus on the cross, whose death is not what makes it so that God can love us and forgive us, but whose death is the sign that God loves and forgives us already. To quote Lowe's again, the God we see in Jesus is not, it turns out, a harsh God, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed, but rather a God always giving more than we expected or deserved and gathering what we offer back in joy. As we look ahead to Advent, which begins in just two weeks, we can also think of one of our most venerated images of God. God who comes to us as one of us in the vulnerable and tender child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. God is a God of love. God has entrusted you with profound and world-altering gifts of love and grace. And no matter what happens, God is always there with open arms, ready to welcome us into God's joy. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast offering from All Saints Episcopal Church in Portland. For more resources from All Saints, or to support this or our many other outreach ministries, please visit allsaintspdx.org.